Gilmore Girls is actually very well written. I'll give it that. Yeah. I haven't watched the uh, whole thing, but every episode I've run across, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty solid. Ladies and gentlemen, all hail Xenu. I'm Kent Garrison. <laughs> I'm Brian Gill. And I am intergalactic overlord Xenu. And this is Mad. Uh, about Dianetic. You sound insane. You realize that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Showtime. Mad About Movies is your go-to show for all things cinema. Every week, we break down movie news, movie rumors, and rumblings, and give you a detailed analysis of a chosen movie of the week. Don't worry if you haven't seen it, because we'll give you ample spoiler alerts. And stay tuned till the end for weekly recommends, in which we suggest something awesome that you need to check out ASAP. If you would like to keep the show going... You can do so by donating at our website, madaboutmoviespodcast.com. This week's movie of the week is what, Brian? This week we're going to be talking about HBO's documentary, Going Clear. I guess the uh, discussion on the NBC pilot, One Big Happy, is out of the question. <laughs> I, mean, I spent a lot of my time making notes on One Big Happy. Thought there was a conversation to be had. Where it falls in, in the Cuthbert canon. Yeah. Right. The funny thing is, if we did an entire episode on One Big Happy, it would be longer than the entire run of One Big Happy. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that right? Is it not? I mean, I'm assuming it's been canceled. I I don't know for that for sure. It's just I feel oh, pretty God, confident. Better. Hop on the website and buy yeah, some merch. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to report, Brian. I'm pretty sure I heard that it was like one of the biggest no debuts. I don't believe you. I'm not even kidding. No joke. Power of Ellen, dude. Yeah. <laughs> when you have Ellen promoting it on her show literally every day, yeah, uh, can't hurt. Can't hurt the ratings much. We have to Google this. Find out for me. I'm gonna get on the Bing here real fast. <laughs> we'll get back to TV in a minute. We have some TV related news, Let's specifically related to. NBC here that we can talk about here in a bit, but obviously this is not a movie that came out in the theaters this past weekend, uh, going clear, mainly due to the fact that Furious 7 still dominating the box office, I think that's the correct word to use, uh, pulled in another $60 million this past weekend in the U.S., and it's up to over $800 million Gosh. worldwide uh, worldwide. As of this past weekend, I, it's midweek right now, so I'd say it's probably up to eight fifty at this point. So uh, you know, almost a billion dollar film in just the first week of release for Furious Seven. The barbecue in Furious Eight better be solid gold. <laughs> it it will be. It's got a lot of <laughs> lots to live up. They got a lot to live up to. I mean, actual gold. The barbecue needs to be made out of oh yeah diamonds. <laughs> yeah. They're just burning petrified wood in the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, it'd be great if they, in the next one they just purposely saw like, let's make this movie five hundred million dollars. Well, they they purposely destroyed a what two million dollar car in Furious Seven, and they say the the price tag of the car and everything in it, just so you know that that yeah we're just we're just gonna destroy this car, and we know it's there's only five of them in the world, but we really don't care. Now there's now there's four. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Furious 7 dominating the box office again, and I think it's the end of April, it's getting there, and usually this is kind of a prime time to release a movie to sort of get the summer movie season kicked off, 
But it seems like the studios were smart enough this time around to not schedule anything in the weeks following Furious 7. So, you know, I guess looking at the calendar at the beginning of the year, I was like, well, what are we going to talk about at the end of April? Why isn't anything coming out? Usually there's a couple of years ago, it was Captain America, and then we had Oblivion and some, you know, draft day, of course, uh, last year. But usually <laughs> there's something that some studio will throw out there at the end because people are starting to get in the mindset of the summer movie season. But, uh, you know, now obviously they've learned their lesson and they've stayed far clear of uh, the path of the Furious franchise. So Just don't mess with family. That's, yeah. that's the key, I think, at this point. I think Paul Bart, too, might have something to say about that <laughs> dominance this coming mm. weekend. 3,600 screens. I hope we come to a, a year where, like, by Fast 11, the, these strike such a fear in the in the hearts of other studios that like Fast and Furious 11 comes out in May and just nothing else comes out the rest of the summer. <laughs> I'd like to get until September. Marvel's moving off all down. their dates. <laughs> yeah. They're like, I mean, we, we can't even think about putting Avengers 3 after Furious 9. <laughs> I mean, that's two months after. I mean, it's still going to be doing 60, 70 yeah. a, a week. Yeah, let's, let's try to trick DC into taking a date somewhere in there. <laughs> Speaking of the end of April and next year, uh, I, news came down today that the first trailer to Batman v Superman <laughs> will be dropping next week. So once again, I mean, one of the most anticipated legal dramas, I think of <laughs> right. the ne- of the next two or At three least years, right? The judge, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it's it's one of my favorite Grisham books, yeah. and I'm just excited to see how that precedent was right. set. You know, and so I'm really looking forward to this. Personally, procedural. I'm just excited to see Amy Brenneman back in the role that made her famous with judging Amy. It, I'm pretty sure she's playing the <laughs> judge. No? no? Yeah, and the Lance Ito cameo <laughs> is, I hear, incredible. I heard Aaron Sorkin actually pinned the script. So, yeah. <laughs> just a good. lot of Batman and his lawyers walking talks. Yeah. Can't wait. And he growls at them and says, mm. Should I just plea? <laughs> this actually leads me to a little bit of house cleaning we have to do for this week, fellas, before we talk movie news and, of course, our movie of the week, the Scientology documentary, Going Clear. So let's take care of a little business first. I want to answer or address an email that we have received. And once again, you can email us at madaboutmoviespodcast at gmail.com or there's a link on our website. Just click contact and fill out a little form and hit submit and it goes straight to our inbox if if that's your preferred method. But this email comes from Sahil Sharanya. Oh, I wrote back to Sahil today. You did. You did. But he... I want you guys to be able to speak your side of it. Yeah, he addressed some stuff that I think is worthy of a discussion here on the actual show. So hello, Sahil uh, from Atlanta. And he says, hello there. How are you guys? My name is Sahil. I'm I'm fairly new to the show and I love it. I've heard about 10 of your podcasts so far, and I can't wait to listen to the rest of them. After listening to the first few shows, I have a few questions that I was hoping you can answer for me. And the first of these questions is, is your love for the MacGruber film real, or are you guys being sarcastic? Sorry, it's hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> well, Sahil, I can, uh, I can confirm for you tonight on the show, our love for MacGruber is, in fact, real. Yes. So real. Breaking news. We like MacGruber. Uh, I'm not sure what you're referring to in the sarcasm that we've made fun of MacGruber. Um, I can't I can't recall any negative things we've had to say about it. 
But we are sarcastic 99% of the time on this yeah, show. The, the only so. thing I'm genuine about in my life, ask my girlfriend, is McGruber. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else can be taken with a grain of salt and a hint of sarcasm slash cynicism. McGruber's the only pure thing I have. <laughs> His second question is uh, what I want to discuss. He says, on your Godzilla podcast, you talked about Batman v Superman and completely pooped all over it. I was wondering why you guys are so down on the DCU, meaning, I guess, DC Universe. Yeah, I didn't know. I guess they'd stolen, stolen that from Marvel, too, but that's a... Um, <laughs> I know Man of Steel wasn't perfect, but for me, it seems like DC is really taking their time, crafting their universe this time around, versus what they did back in 2010 and made that Green Lantern movie. I'd love to know why you guys pooped on Batman v Superman, and if your opinion has changed since then. Let me uh, let me yeah. answer the second part of that first. No, yeah. <laughs> and go ahead. You guys can answer the rest. Yeah, you, you you may have some a hard time listening to the podcast since Godzilla. If if uh, you're upset about that one, because man, that was certainly not the last time we've uh, we've pooped on on uh, this particular movie entry. You know what? And Sahil, mainly why we've pooped on it is the complete opposite of of what your opinion is on this. Saying, uh, I think you said. It seems to me like DC is really taking their time crafting this universe. Uh, in my opinion, it's the opposite. They're completely Agreed. rushing this out. The only movie we're going to have until Justice League is uh, Man of Steel, and we're getting Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, which, by the way, Shower thought the other day, spoiler alert is in the title. Like, no <laughs> one's going to win that fight between Batman and Superman. They're obviously going to come to an agreement to form the Justice League. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be the most, the biggest letdown ever. Uh, they're going to just keep fighting, and they're going to call a truce at the end and form the Justice League. So, uh, yeah, I think it's the complete opposite of, of the Marvel route here. You know, Marvel gave us Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, Thor, and Captain America before they gave us the Avengers, uh, which is uh, four movies before we had an Avengers movie. And I believe we had Iron Man 2 before that as well, so there's five. With DC, we're literally having one movie before the Justice League is introduced to us. Um, maybe they're building the Justice League to to something else. Like they're going to introduce Justice League, and it's going to build to a Justice League versus somebody, somebody, you know, um, Suicide Squad or something down the line. But as of now, it's it's they're not taking their time at all. They're just playing catch up to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and uh, you know. Marvel really built theirs from the ground up since 2008, and DC is doing basically the complete opposite. So those are my thoughts on on there, Brian. What were you going to say? What are your yeah, thoughts on this? I'll just add. He said, "Man, he did. He thought Man of Steel was pretty decent, and that you know everybody's certainly entitled to their opinion. I hate Man of Steel, and I think you guys pretty much agree with me. I don't like Zack Snyder at all, and I don't like his vision for." any film that he's done since 300 and having him in control of an entire cinematic universe to me is just such a horrible decision. Uh, and you're right, Kent, it, it feels like they are, they are doing every, they're rushing everything they can to keep up with Marvel. And it, it just, everything they do just comes across as a Marvel knockoff with steroids. That's, that's the whole thing. We've, we've got to be all yoked up and, and jacked on steroids and stuff. I, I don't like any of the casting choices that they've made throughout all of these movies for the most part. Like I, I hate Henry Cavill as 
Superman. Yeah, starting um, with skipping on John Hamm. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, I'm not. A, I mean, I like Affleck, but I don't really look forward to him as Batman. Uh, Jason Momoa as Aquaman <laughs> is just Jack it's Aquaman. almost a joke. Like that. That has to be a joke. I like Gal Gadot. Am I saying that right? Yeah, probably yeah, like not. Uh, Gal Gadot. I think she could be a very good Wonder Woman, but. I don't have any faith in anything that Snyder's doing, and I don't see – I don't feel like we are people who are overly critical of of movies like way far in advance or anything like that. But every – literally every single piece of news that has come out about this franchise has made me shake my head or just kind of – Yeah, or laugh. laugh. It's It's – I don't. I really don't see a way in which this can be good. And now I, I, I would like to be wrong, honestly, because that's what I said too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like Justice I'm not League. Like I like Marvel. those characters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Same here. Batman's my guy. Batman was my favorite superhero growing up, and and still is. I don't care about Superman at all. But Batman and um. But I was I was totally team team DC as a kid and and as a teenager and stuff. It's just nothing that they are doing should be filling anyone with confidence at this point. I think. I think that's safe to say. It's crazy to think that, I mean, Man of Steel is, and we're not fans of Zack Snyder, but Man of Steel, when you think about it, is the worst Zack Snyder movie. Like, it's not even close, really, yeah. in my opinion. There's There hasn't been really any good Superman movie other than maybe the first one just for nostalgia's sake. But it doesn't hold yeah. up well at no, all. No, it's not good at all. It, it, it doesn't hold up. It, it's not a good movie. But it's yeah. just, it's just. Uh, I guess if you grew up in that time, you could think, "Oh man, I remember seeing it in the theater." And you know, we had never seen the green screen effects like somebody flying before, so that was cool. But you know, yeah. like I said, none of it holds up, and it's not a good movie. It, it's ridiculous when you think about him reversing the spin of the Earth and all the yeah. ridiculous things that he has to do to save the day. But um, so I guess Man of Steel can be considered the best Superman movie as far as like thought out and explaining things, you know, my favorite part of Man of Steel was the fact that they explain away the, Oh, Lois Lane can't recognize Clark Kent with his glasses on. You know, they, they Mm -hmm. do away with that whole ridiculousness in the Superman uh, mythos. So I appreciated that, but it doesn't hold up um, well at all, even a year later. And uh, you know, it's the worst Snyder movie. I like 300 more. I like Watchmen more. Um, there are things I like more about Sucker Punch than I like about Man of Steel, <laughs> and that's not a good thing, you know, to say. I fully realize that, but so not in good hands, I don't think. No. And um, it's confirmed that he's doing Dawn of Justice, the Justice League Part One, and the Justice League Part Two. Yeah. So that was my point to Salil again. I mean, not to keep beating a dead a dead horse. Um, is that? I'll even grant you that they that that DC is taking their time and planning this universe out. I'll grant you that, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. Unfortunately, the person planning the cinematic universe is Zack Snyder. So I'm That's out. true. Totally right. Like you know what I mean? Like it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm just trying to think of like if 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 Terrell Owens took you know 15 years to really consider running for president it wouldn't make it a great idea <laughs> right you know so so timely reference by me i don't know why <laughs> terrell owens it's so funny i actually had a long extended conversation about terrell owens earlier today so it's timely for me <laughs> yeah because he applied that. to be an intern with the cowboys right <laughs> no because we because i looked up on espn and they and it said 
who is the most who should be the NBA MVP? And it was Terrell Owens as the analyst. Like, what does he have anything to do with NBA talk? What is going on? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's like personally, yeah, the better example would be like Secretary of the Treasury because he's run out of money, right? So like it doesn't mean you can take he can take all the time Zack Snyder can take all the time he wants. I that's I mean, he can take fifty years as far as I'm concerned. It's not gonna be good. He just doesn't I think his characters are wooden and and his aesthetics are just grandiose and in 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 the wrong direction. Like everything that's great about Fast and the Furious, <laughs> you know, there's this weird tightrope to walk right between Fast and Furious and Man of Steel, and Man of Steel is on the wrong side of that tightrope. And so, um, I just don't. I, I have no. I have no faith that these movies are going to be good. And and like I said to Brian earlier, like I'm not. I didn't really grow up in any universe team comic book wise i watched a little x-men cartoons i watched a few batman cartoons whatever i mean i just wasn't a comic book kid um i was too busy reading about ken griffey jr but (laughs) i uh but so because of that like i know that this looks bad because i'm not like a marvel lover and a dc hater or anything like that like this just purely from a like almost alien perspective to comics my brain i can tell you that everything marvel is doing has a lot of behind it Though I will say it's probably died in the last year or two a little bit. I mean, it's lost a little bit of the momentum just because naturally after 14 films, right? But, I mean, DC's lost momentum after one film. I mean, just think about how much we were dying for more after that first Iron Man. And I walked out of Man of Steel being like, I, 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 you know, I'd rather work at this theater for the next two years than have to go watch this again. And, And that's after one film. I just, I'm willing to be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Actually, right. eh, I don't want Zack Snyder to be successful, but <laughs> I just hope I'm wrong. But I just don't think it's going to be good, and and uh, that's that's okay. I have I w- to I have to read the quote of, that Zack Snyder gave on why it's called Batman v Superman. I don't think we ever talked about it oh on gosh. the podcast, but it is classic. But Jesse Eisenberg is like Luthor. oh yeah the great. we need to comment on the Jesse Eisenberg pick that came out as Luthor because everyone was. <laughs> This is so. This is the DC fan base, in my opinion. So, picture comes out of Eisenberg with his head shaved, and they go, you know, the headline is first look at Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor, and it's literally just Eisenberg with his head shaved, like yeah. from the neck up, and everyone was like, you know what? When they first announced Eisenberg as Luthor, I didn't think it'd be good, <laughs> but now I'm convinced. Yeah. It's like he literally has. Just shaved his head off. That's the only thing. It's not some yeah. ledger like transformation or something like. And they didn't really let us see how jacked he was in the picture either. I'm yeah. hoping. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. crazy. You can kind of tell because the veins were coming out of the side of his head. So you, yeah, you, you can tell. You can tell. That's. I think that's what's most important that DC's focusing focusing on, and I think it's great. Just making sure all their actors are super yoked. <laughs> it's funny to me every time I see one of these these actors that's in this universe now. They don't seem too enthused about it. Do you guys get that vibe too? Like Straight, they all yeah. kind of seem a little beaten by what they're going through. Like really, maybe I should not have taken this role. Because okay. they've got a lot of money, but they're having to wake up at 3 a.m. and <laughs> shoot creatine into their veins and then work out for seven hours. Yeah. And then go to the set and say things yeah. like, I can't love you. <laughs> and then back to the gym for another six hours. Yeah. Zack Snyder screams at him. <laughs> 
hooked up Zack Snyder yeah. comes flying down from a crane shot. Yeah, I thought it was kind of weird when they hired Mark, Mark McGuire as the assistant to the director, but yeah, it kind of makes sense. It does. Make Here's sense. the and quote the, from Snyder: Brian McNamee or whatever is the uh, <laughs> best grip key boy, best boy in grip. Here's the quote from Snyder explaining why it's Batman v Superman and not versus Superman. It says having the V instead of the versus is a way to keep it from being a straight versus movie, even in the most subtle way. Nope. You know what? Why don't? How about you don't call it Batman versus Superman, and then it won't be a versus like, you know? <laughs> Awful. 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 So I in summation, I think we all would like this to be a success, but none of us have any any feeling that that could possibly happen at this point. Right. Like, it, mm, I, I can't imagine that this could be anything better than like a B minus at, at the absolute best. Yeah, I'd be thrilled with that. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think that's what I gave Man of Steel when we did our original show. And then at the end of the year, I was like, ah, it's more like a C, C minus. I think if we saw Man of Steel today and I graded it again, it might be a D. Like I really dislike that movie a lot. And it it's a bummer that we – that that's the movie that that DC is kind of hanging their hat on at this point. First twenty minutes are pretty cool before they come to Earth. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Krypton trailers were amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it literally is. Yeah, it literally is yeah. the best trailer I might have ever seen in my life. I'm not even yes. kidding. The one with yes. the the Russell Crowe narration over yeah. it and is yeah. oh, so, so awesome. I was yeah. so pumped. Yeah, and I was like, "Whoa, Zach freaking Snyder! You put some, you put a Nolan behind him, and he's awesome." And then I yeah. got in the theater. Yeah, so be prepared. Like before you even send us the emails. <clears throat> The trailer for Batman v Superman might be awesome. Right. So before you guys like, ooh, bad about movies. Look, yeah. it, look it looks pretty right. good. We're going to withhold judgment until the film comes yeah. out because we are. I will happily concede that it's going to be probably a pretty bomb trailer. But yeah, then the the tell all of this entire thing, which I don't know if we've mentioned or not, but needs to be needs to be said right now is the fact that Christopher Nolan is completely all out mm-hmm. on everything. You know, he's washed his hands of this entire franchise everything you know that that's got to be that's got to be a pretty big tell the fact that he he's not willing to sign the on minimum bench yeah the fact that he's the not bench. willing to to sign on as a producer mm-hmm. which is basically just him giving his opinion on things or even you know as an yeah. advisor or, or anything like that to snyder it, it says a lot about where they're headed here the fact True. that that they don't that no one doesn't want to be involved anymore he was yeah. involved in in man of steel you're right richard and, but not anymore it, and again, I'll take that a step further too. I think it's a we weren't we weren't going to talk about this news bit, but I think it's I think it's not a great show either that Michelle McLaren is has bailed out of Wonder Woman. Like that's not right. yep. because Michelle McLaren is a fantastic director with a lot of incredible credits to her name. And if she can't whatever the reason is <laughs> for her for her leaving, I we don't know. Look, Marvel's lost directors too, and things have turned out fine. So who who knows what will happen? But I just think at this point you have to you have to continue to chalk all these things up in the in the con category, the stuff that's stacked up against any of these movies turning out to be good. And having Michelle McLaren was a pretty solid way to say, look, this stuff may be not going great, but look at this, look at this. We've got Michelle McLaren directing a superhero movie. This is gonna be awesome. And now we don't have that anymore. So right. that man, that's a huge two, knock, I think. Two things on that. I think Neither Nolan or her could hit the 250 deadlift minimum to stay affiliated <laughs> with the franchise. Right. And to how much money are they going to throw at Catherine Bigelow? 
Yeah. No, they I already confirmed today, a, yeah, they, they confirmed a new director, director already. Yeah. He, How much money did they throw at Catherine Bigelow yeah. before? Yeah. You're right. You're probably right. It, this didn't have anything to do with with Al Qaeda though. Not that we know of. <laughs> that we know of. So right. Yeah, but we haven't seen the script. Right. I mean <laughs> it's true. Gail Godot is Israeli. So That's I mean true. Middle Eastern ties, you know, she go in there and ruffle some feathers. And Wonder Woman's always something it's always a, a, a property that no studio ever thinks could ever be a success. So if, if yeah. Wonder Woman comes out and it's not a bomb, then yeah. that'll be a win just for the studio. I think you know? that one's – this is what I, I did and I did say this to Celio uh, and I hope I'm saying that correctly in the email I wrote back is a couple things. First off, I think it's now in this kind of post-Bridesmaid world a perfect time to try Wonder Woman and I'm totally on board with, with – uh, DC making these movies because they're going to make a ton of money. Everybody is going to see Batman versus Superman. It's going to make right. a ton of money. Even if it is a 31% of Rotten Tomatoes going in, it's going to make a crap ton. Yeah. So I'm it's fine with them. Huge yeah. amount of money first weekend and then yeah. drop off a clip second weekend. But if it makes yeah. enough that opening weekend, then that's fine. Right. But it's just, I'm fine with them making the movies. I just don't like how they're going about making them. But totally. I think Wonder Woman's now is the time to make a Wonder Woman. If they were just doing that, I would be kind of cautiously peaked. But I just don't care about Batman or Superman and the way they're being done. I'm super pumped for Aquaman because I really love Jason Momoa and I'm excited for the <laughs> him to like talk to a you know like a clam or something, whatever yeah. Aquaman does, and then just crush it with his fist. But I, uh, I so. um, something we haven't talked about that relates to this is I saw that Phil Lord and Chris Miller are doing the treatment for the Flash movie. Oh, cool. Yeah, that that's good. That's a good. Yeah. Uh, that's a step in the right direction for sure. I read an article last week about those two guys. I guess this is morphed into sort of our movie news section. So yeah, this is movie news now. Uh, is that they were literally getting offered every movie. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sure. laughs> you know everything that. People want to bring back it has you know come by their desk at one point. They turned down the Ghostbusters thing, uh, the Ghostbusters three at least the the Ackroyd Ghostbusters three that never came to fruition, and um, that's awesome. I, I think they could do something cool with the Flash. I really want them to get involved with Star Wars somehow. I think they should do mm-hmm. a spinoff on like called Droids, and it's just about R two D two and C three PO's journey through the galaxy up until a new yeah. hope you know there was a awesome cartoon series be? about droids there back you go. in the uh, mid 80s yeah exactly i mean how cool would that be with them behind it make it more funny because those the droids are the comic relief in star wars and uh man i would be totally all in if they got involved with the the star wars universe here but uh but we have a star wars trailer coming out this week guys first poster and and uh i guess first full length trailer for the force awakens so Obviously, awesome. it was awesome, and we, it makes us more excited. So, if you want I'm our thoughts on it, I'm not going to be watching it. Yeah, I won't watch. I'm done with Star Wars. I have to. Wa- I have to watch it like at one I, time. I have I can't, to. I can't. I'm not going to. I, I want to go in totally dark. I don't want to know a thing. Ooh, that's I've decided. I've you decided. know they're going to show it before Avengers. At You're the right. I'll I'll time that well. Okay. Um, one more thing I should mention before. We move on and talk one more bit of movie news before talking going clear is uh, I want to say a shout out to Aaron Matson who will be joining us on our Avengers Age of Ultron episode here in a couple of weeks. So get excited, Aaron. And uh, the, the way Aaron got on the on the episode is he donated $100 to our podcast. 
And we already have a, a few other people who have done that as well and will be joining us for this Star Wars The Force Awakens. And those people are Jonathan Glucksman and Jossie Edmondson, who who have called dibs already on The Force Awakens. So Age of Ultron and The Force Awakens have been booked this year. Uh, like we said, if you donate that much money, $100, you can pick the movie you want to come and review with us. Join us on an episode and and uh, have a great time. But those two are booked as of now. Um, so shout out to those people. You know, Thanks so much to those people for donating yeah. that amount of money. It means a lot. And you know, this show will always be free, like I've said, but our goal is to have the show pay for itself. So yeah. those two donations go a long way in making that happen. So. And to swim in money, like uh, the the duck on Ducktales. What's the what's the uh, what's the? I can't. There remember. are multiple ducks on Ducktales. Well, but you know what I mean. Like the who is the? the is uncle, it Scrooge? The is that the? Yeah, is it Scrooge, Scrooge McDuck? McDuck. Scrooge, Scrooge McDuck. McDuck. Yeah, right. I, that's what I want to be. Is Scrooge McDuck. Ducktales is coming back, by the way. Dude, Ducktales is the bomb. Best theme Love song. Best I just said the bomb. Yeah. Can y'all erase that? that no. <laughs> nope. Now Sorry. that you asked, okay. no. All right, there's saying the, the bomb is the bomb now. <laughs> no, right? I read a tweet today that had the bomb in it, and I was like, "That's ridiculous." No one says the bomb anymore, and now it's <laughs> seeped into my brain. Was it the bomb or da bomb? It was da bomb. Okay, it was there you bomb, go. But I have some. Uh, statements, so <laughs> I was gonna say, if it's the bomb, you might have to report them. But. <laughs> <laughs> Call very, yeah. <laughs> Brian just glances over it like someone's very openly making a threat. Brian's just like, what a loser. You're using that 90s vernacular. Gosh. Um, I hope they don't find out about my bomb. <laughs> so let's talk about this one thing for movie news. Um, I guess the state – this is going to sort of lead us into our conversation about the TV uh, documentary that we're going to talk about tonight. But some things going down at NBC – Brian broke us some news uh, before we hopped on the pod. A show is coming to NBC. Brian, you want to talk about this? Sure, I would. I would love to. I would love to talk about the the great decisions that that uh, NBC is making these days. So last year, Going on ten years, really? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, just hanging their hats on that Friends reunion. Um, yep. Last year, NBC greenlit a a, sheer, a show. And send it straight to series, which is is very atypical. That doesn't happen just a whole lot. And usually when it does, it's it's uh, it's Netflix. That's kind of Netflix business model. But uh, it's like Fox. Fox occasionally will do that. I don't know when the last time was that NBC did a straight to series, except for Michael J. Fox show, which also did not turn out so well. Anyway, they did a straight to series order for ten episodes of a show called Emerald City, which is based on. The Wizard of Oz in some sort of weird futuristic way in which a 20-year-old Dorothy Gale and her canine police dog Toto are transported <laughs> to another world and uh, and becomes, I don't know, like probably it's investigate like Munchkins or something. Oz. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so they sent this straight to series, 10 episodes, and then I, I guess they saw the pilot and were like, oh, my gosh, like this is the worst <laughs> thing ever. This is terrible and, uh, and, and canceled it. Well, then today they, they resurrected it and went straight back to a full series order. So we're going to get – Oh, gonna man. Get new World cast City. and everything or just – I don't think there's a new cast, but they did say that Toto will like – or there's a possibility. I'm going to bring up the tur- – the, uh, the copy in this article was just – incredible but uh hold on let me bring it up real fast 
because my my guy Andy Greenwald from Grantland was going crazy about this press release of how absurd it was. But of course, my phone's going to freeze forever. Uh, said the possibility of Toto playing some sort of a dog detective. So oh, that will, that's that's how they're uh, that's how they're changing it up from that first series that didn't that didn't quite make it. Um, wow. So. So that's what we're headed towards, guys. That we, we're getting, uh, we're getting a, a Wizard of Oz futuristic series in in the vein of Game of Thrones. So you know that's with a with a. I hope it's like a really Raymond Chandler type uh, detective. Makes <laughs> you walk into my office. I I'm held by a leg. I'm honestly speechless. I don't even know what to think. Gosh. It's not a surprise. Uh, the last series order I can see, Brian, was Hannibal on NBC, oh, okay. sure. which is a good show. I actually sure. have – that's one of the few bright spots in NBC's um, lineup over the past uh, five, six years um, as far as something watchable, <laughs> which you know you would think they would have more shows that were watchable. Um, hasn't happened very much. But and, you know, I don't know what they're thinking, why, why they think people want Wizard of Oz – I thought the fantasy thing was dying down. Honestly, uh, I don't. I'm not sure if Once Upon a Time is doing well at all. I know they they did an Alice in Wonderland spinoff of Once Upon a Time on ABC last year. Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, I think it was called. I think yeah. it got canceled pretty fast, so that should be a tell to not go in this direction. But you know, leave it to me. Uh, the Emerald City will last eight seasons, just because <laughs> I said that, but. <laughs> Very confusing. Meanwhile, at CBS, they're laughing maniacally and just greenlighting random CSIs. Right. Like, yeah. let's do uh, NCIS Oz. Just yeah. to screw with them. <laughs> CSI, what is it? CSI, CSI Cyber? Yeah. That's what it's called with yeah, James Vanderbeek. That's what it's, that's what it's yeah. called. Academy yeah. Award winner Patricia Arquette as well. Yeah. You're right. Get them checks, Patricia. They called oh, it. A- I like that they called it CSI Cyber and not CSI Digital or something like that. Yeah, like they yeah, chose Cyber. It's super, super, super 90s. Super 90s. The, the next I've one heard should it's be not like, awful too, like compared to other CSIs. The next one should be just CSI Clearwater or something just super <laughs> old person, you know? Scott's Speaking table. of Clearwater, Brian. <laughs> yeah, good good segue, Brian. Uh, let's uh, move on and let's talk. Why a pro. Going clear. Usually to hear the secret doctrine, you have to be in the church for several years, Stan. Are you ready to hear the truth? I, I guess. You see, Stan, there is a reason for people feeling sad and depressed. An alien reason. It all began 75 million years ago. Back then, there was a galactic federation of planets, which was ruled over by the evil Lord Xenu. Xenu thought his galaxy was overpopulated, and so he rounded up countless aliens from all different planets, and then had those aliens frozen. The frozen alien bodies were loaded onto Xenu's galactic cruisers, which looked like DC-8s, except with rocket engines. The cruisers then took the frozen alien bodies to our planet, Earth, and dumped them into the volcanoes of Hawaii. The aliens were no longer frozen. They were dead. The souls of those aliens, however, lived on and all floated up towards the sky. But the evil Lord Xenu had prepared for this. Xenu didn't want their souls to return, and so he built giant soul catchers in the sky. Souls were taken to a huge soul brainwashing facility, which Xenu had also built on Earth. 
There, the souls were forced to watch days of brainwashing material, which tricked them into believing a false reality. Xenu then released the alien souls, which roamed the Earth aimlessly in a fog of confusion. At the dawn of man, the souls finally found bodies which they could grab onto. They attached themselves to all mankind, which still to this day causes all our fears, our confusions, and our problems. Where should we begin with this, fellas? This is, this is quite the polarizing uh, experience documentary. Um, if you're not familiar with this at all, this is a documentary feature on HBO, directed by noted documentarian Alex Gibney. This gives a behind-the-scenes look at the church, quote-unquote, of Scientology. And a lot of former leaders in the Church of Scientology have spoken out on this film uh, against the church and have uh, given a testimony of their experiences with the church. And uh, this is something that has sort of made a stir, at least in the conversational aspect of the culture, uh, talk radio, uh, political television, etc., about um, about the Church of Scientology and its place um, in the American culture. So, uh, man, what a what a crazy documentary this was. Um, HBO had had this in the works for a while, if I'm not mistaken, and had lawyered up like crazy over the past year in anticipation of this thing dropping. I haven't heard whether many lawsuits have come down after it. Uh, it's been quiet as far as the lawsuits go. And, uh, you know, not near as much as news after the fact as, say, something like the Jinx has had uh, in the weeks following its um, its premiere on HBO. But, man, this was such a such an interesting watch, and it leads to such a great conversation. And so this is one I thought I, I would bring to the table for for a Rants and Raves edition of Mad About Movies. And I know y'all are going to have a lot of interesting thoughts on this one. Uh, for for many different reasons, but man, this was just so so eye opening for me. I had always been interested in the Church of Scientology just from a curiosity standpoint. I never sure. knew what what they were about, what they believed. All I really knew was that when I was living in L.A. for you know the six months that I've lived there in my life, um, I saw a lot. Their pre- I saw their presence a lot there. Um, they have a huge presence in Southern California, and um, their recruiters are very aggressive. When you're walking down the street, or you know, even when you're coming out of Walmart or something, they'll they'll try and approach you and hand you a pamphlet, and uh, you know, it was very, very almost scary the, how aggressive they were mm-hmm. uh, towards new recruits. And so I never really researched it. You know, um, I was there for uh, on Hollywood Boulevard, just taking the old, doing the old walk down uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame thing, and they had a, an outdoor setup there with uh, probably 10 tables out there on Hollywood Boulevard, and they had their e-meters on the, these tables. And they were, hey, come talk to us. You know, we just want to you know, talk to you and sit down, and we'll, we're going to show you this thing we do, and it's going to help you relieve stress. And so I was really tempted to just go do that sure, just to see what it was. You know, I'm, I consider myself a Christian man, and, I, and I've been that way, you know, raised that, you know, I've been born and raised that way my whole life, so... It's not that I was, you know, curious about joining the Church of Scientology. Right. I was just more curious about what the heck is this. Uh, sure. So I was very tempted to do that just to see, or just to mess with them, really, just to you know question them and 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 see, try and get a sense of why they believe what they believe. I uh, didn't end up doing it, but I mean, they're very 
transparent with their recruiting techniques and everything. And uh, just to see the behind the scenes aspect of that was very eye opening. I'm going to keep it general here and say, really, really enjoyed watching this just from a uh, educational standpoint. You know, now I feel like I could talk to a Scientologist about their religion or what a crazy experience this was to watch. And it's going to lead to a good conversation, like I said. So, uh, Brian, as somebody who works uh, in, in the religious industry, I guess, sure. uh, what is your thought on uh, or general thoughts on this on this documentary? I, I'm with you, Kent. I have always been – I'm fascinated by world religions in general. Yeah, uh, That was something that I, I put a lot of focus on in college and um, to this day. Like I, I have a great deal – because I am a – a very steadfast Christian. I work for a church and I'm very serious about that and my faith and all that sort of thing. Like I have a great deal of interest and respect for, uh, other religions just, you know, because I, I don't feel like I'm one of those people that, uh, is going to shout you down and tell you you're wrong, you know, or something like that. Like that's not my, my personality. And I, I, I kind of hate that kind of, uh, approach to, uh, to faith and spirituality and whatnot. But so I have a, I have a great, great interest in, in most world religions and Scientology is always like this. It's like this, uh, it's like the, the, I don't know, like the, the dark arts or something. Like, I feel like you can know more about like witchcraft than you can about Scientology, uh, up to the point that this book was released. And now the documentary and stuff like that, like it's always very, it's, it's very shrouded in secrecy and you're totally right. Like Scientologists will, um, they will, they are very aggressive in their recruiting, but there is, in my experience, at least like there's very little, uh, truth telling that goes along <laughs> with their, with their recruiting pitch. It's, it's, it, it very much comes across like a cult, which is uh, – look, you can say that about mo- – if you're an outsider, you can say that about most world religions on some level or another. Um, Scientology though especially comes across that way because it doesn't seem like the average Scientologist really knows what they're talking about or what they believe <laughs> and they just know what – they just know the bill of goods that they've been sold and they're trying to sell you on the same bill of goods. And that's, that's not to say that I know everything there is to know about the Bible or, um, or, you know, my own faith or anything like that. But, but I think that that's that part of the process for most world religions is to, uh, come to an understanding of, uh, what you believe and what the, whatever your deity might be to, to come to a, a, an understanding of that. And Scientology is not, is really not that way, at least for the lay person. It's, it's all about, it always comes across anyway, as uh, do this and you will prosper. And, and let's not, let's not worry about any of the other stuff. Like, let's just kind of keep all this other stuff hidden behind closed doors. And, and that's, that's their approach. They've, I don't feel like that's me like judging them or anything like that. Like that's what has been the, that's how they've done business for the last 30 or 40 or 50 years or whatever. Um, they're very quick. And this documentary talked about it. They're very quick to, uh, come after people who are, uh, not even anti-Scientology, but just like if you just have questions about Scientology, they seem pretty pretty quick to come and 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 knock you back. And uh, it's not always a great 
to me, it's not a great way to uh, to have a religion. But, it's, but anyway, it seems like it's working for them. It, as far as this goes, I, I'm so interested in this subject, and I, I was really looking forward to this, and I'm so glad we're going to do an episode on it. This m- really is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen, and uh, it, 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 it's so informative. It's incredibly well-directed, and I know – Alex Gibney is a is a well respected documentarian. He's done a lot of great work in the past, but like this is to me, this is on another level. Like this is his crowning jewel at this point. Like this is just such an incredibly well made film. And there's there's very little honestly that I have very I don't think I have anything negative to say about this. Like when we get down to criticisms and stuff, this is gonna be a blank for me because I think this is this is borderline a perfect documentary and kind of illustrates exactly what what kind of good a well-done documentary can do uh, and what kind of light a well-done documentary can shed on a, a, a situation or an entity or a person or in this case a church. It's, it's fascinating. I, I really want him to uh, – I want his next project to be Westboro Baptist Church and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and expose the uh, – the insanity of, of that, that group as well. But anyway, uh, for just general thoughts on this documentary, I'm just, I'm mesmerized by it. I loved it. This was one of the cool, this is one of the better viewings I've had in a long time of any movie documentary or, or not. This is just an amazing film. Richard. As probably the only devout Scientologist on the show. <laughs> um, no. Probably uh, you say that. Yeah. Probably who knows. No, so uh, I read this book, like, I guess probably about almost a year ago, nine months ago, maybe. I think I made it a weekly recommend. I remember that. Um, love Lawrence Wright. So the, the, the documentary is based on a book uh, by Lawrence Wright, who also wrote The Looming Tower, which is, uh, I think, uh, the definitive book on, on 9-11 as well. You know, I expected a lot of great things in this documentary, and I, I, I got them, so I won't, I won't leave you hanging there, you know, the, the kind of the first exposure I ever had to, I knew what Scientology was as a kid and I knew that Tom Cruise was one and that John Travolta was one. Uh, but I didn't really know. The first time I ever kind of found out what they believed was like on that, uh, I think really kind of groundbreaking South Park. It's probably like 10 or 12 years old now. Yeah. Um, South Park. Did it's it. called uh, Trapped in the Closet. Yeah. And they did, they really went in just like this documentary does and talks about what you actually believe. And I think one of the things that really hinders, uh, the, uh, the religion, the people in the religion, and you have to look upon a lot of them as, as victims is because, you know, after watching this documentary, you both probably know more about Scientology than a lot of Scientologists. Yes. Because they're not allowed access to these or they're, you know, encouraged not to view these materials and they, they don't seek, uh, you know, you don't really get, um, access to the information of the history of the religion, the actual, what the religion, that it is in fact, even a religion until you've given hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is covered in the documentary. And, and so it kind of becomes, uh, now in the, as information is more readily out there, I know that their numbers really dwindle, but the numbers that they have, have oftentimes a lot of money. And so they're able to kind of still have, it's a very opulent faith. I mean, some of those presentations they had, uh, are just insane, you know, the amount of money. I mean, I'm sure Cruz and co, uh, fund those plus all the money they're, they're bringing in for auditing and things like that. So, and the fact that they don't have to pay any taxes, which was very well covered. I thought in the documentary and really what made this a church when before it was just kind of a much like a lot of, uh, self-help movements. This became 
officially a church, mostly so they could afford because they couldn't afford to pay their tax bill. It really had to become a church, and they really bullied. I thought the most fascinating part of the documentary was how they showed how they really bullied the IRS into, you know, granting them that that tax exemption. Yeah. So just great all around. Uh, Lawrence Wright. It was cool to see him as as you know. There's. A lot of different people in the documentary that are exes of the church, and then you kind of have Lawrence right in there to kind of push the narrative along as this person that really did all the research. I mean, Alex Gibney's a genius, and this is his crown jewel, but I think a lot of that is the reason this is so much better than a lot of his other work is I think Lawrence Wright's one of the best journalists, period, out there. So being sure. able to – this is kind of a crude term. I mean not discussing or anything. I just mean like I can't really think of a better way to put it, but kind of piggybacking, piggybacking on the back of that, of, mm-hmm. of him – I think really brought this to what you notice as your other level, Brian. Sure. Uh, and so I think it's great. I think we should, we can't go much longer without talking about the true star of this documentary, and that's uh, Paul Haggis's glasses. Just fabulous, fabulous, <laughs> great right. glasses, fabulous glasses. And he's great in it as well. Really, I always think of him as such a bore, and he's really charismatic. You can see that he's such a great, uh, you know, oftentimes such a great writer because he's really good at the and funny and self-effacing and, and wonderful. Uh, as are I found all three of the the big kind of ex Scientologists that were very much high up and kind of in the cabinet, so to speak, of, of Miscavige to be incredibly charming, funny, yeah. thoughtful people, and, and it's unbelievable that as recent as two or three years ago they were using those powers for you know evil or whatever, yeah. you know, at least for nonsense, right? I mean, um, so. It was uh, is great, yeah, great documentary. Really, uh, Sarah, Sarah, my girlfriend, I kind of told her that she's interested in those kind of things. So I thought I told her it'd be something she'd be interested in, and she was just without having read the book or you know done much research on being a you know like a Larry Wright nerd like I am, uh, Austin, Texas, his own, I should say, and uh, all that. But he, she just thought it was one of the most interesting things she'd ever seen. So I think it really appeals to the masses in a, in a great way. And it's so, a fascinating I, book. I had the I same mean, experience, Richard. Lindsay was trying to, uh, trying to do work and she ended up just putting her computer away and watching the whole thing. And just yeah. like, I can't believe all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, I know it's, it's amazing. It was very mind blowing, uh, to say the least. Um, one of the more, I guess, eye opening things, uh, you know they go. They do a very good job about talking about the history of the of the religion. They do a good yeah. job of talking about L. Ron Hubbard himself. Makes was, the master better, doesn't it? Now you want to watch the master. You know what? Question. You know what? It made it made a lot more. The master makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> yeah. Even the settings, like the fact that they're Absolutely. on a boat, a boat a lot of the times, yeah. and and uh, man, Philip Seymour Hoffman does a great L. Ron Hubbard. After you see the footage of L. Ron talking <laughs> yeah. and stuff. It's yeah. so spot yeah. on, almost creepily spot on, uh, that performance in that film. But that's a, we've done an episode on The Master, so go back and listen to that episode if you want our full thoughts on that film. But Master is like one of my favorite movies of all time. I I love that movie, and this that, this 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 uh, documentary just enforced that. Uh, to it's me. probably on the, we should say if you want to listen to that episode, it's only on the website, right? Yeah, go to madaboutmovies podcast.com because it's probably iTunes only has our most recent hundred. So just exactly. a heads up on that. Yes, you're right. Uh, but it was very eye opening uh, with L. Ron Hubbard and, you know, the fact that his wife said on the record and his son even has said on the record, you know, before I even saw this documentary, I, I saw a YouTube video of his son speaking at some confessional, you know, doing some kind of speech where 
he, he said his dad said to him face to face, the only way to make any money is, to, is in religion. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's just so blatantly obvious that he made all this up just to make money. And the fact that L. Ron Hubbard was a noted Pulp Fiction science fiction writer. And, Prolific one. Yeah, I mean, like the, most, the most, published, uh, most published author ever. I mean, literally has written thousands of published books. Like you said, yeah, a, one of the, one of the better, biggest ones of, of his time. And to me, that's the first red flag if you're joining this. Yep. Well, who started this? Oh, L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, well, uh, isn't he a <laughs> science fiction? Like, it's the equivalent of saying, well, who started this religion? Oh, Ridley Scott. Oh, you mean the guy <laughs> who wrote Alien and Blade Runner? Uh, okay, uh, that sounds uh, sounds fine, but uh love those movies, but don't know if I'd start, you know, being a religion started by Mr. Mr. Scott. But it... um. It was very eye-opening with just the L. Ron Hubbard aspect of it. I mean, they could have done a documentary just on Hubbard himself, and I would have been all in. And they should. Uh, they, should they should have done that. But uniquely American character, and in the book, you should you guys should both read the book at some point yeah. because there's a lot more. I mean, I would say if the book's 500 pages, probably 250 are on just kind of the the growth of Hubbard, his sort of background. So. If you're interested in that, I would highly recommend going clear the book because, you know, about him moving all over the country, he moved constantly and really what, what made him, you know, become this, this type of kind of nutcase slash genius slash nutcase again, uh, is really, really interesting. And a lot of stuff about the custody fights of his children that's kind of glossed over in the, in the documentary, obviously because of time through no fault of the editors or director, but it's really interesting. I, I recommend it to you both and to any listener that kind of wants to do more of a deep dive. Yeah, I plan on reading the book after this. Uh, that's for sure. But after Hubbard passed away in 1986, uh, I assume that Zenu came down and you know took him aboard his ship and, mm-hmm. and left. And <laughs> I think that's I think that's what happens yeah, after. Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so David Miscavige takes over Man. the Church of Scientology and he's the is, real villain of this, I think. He's yes, the real absolutely. yeah, he's the real villain of the church and the leader of the Church of Scientology. And uh, you know, they interview John Travolta. <laughs> I, I'm assuming it's stock footage of of Travolta um back you know behind the scenes of a movie when somebody asks him about Scientology and he's quoted as saying um they promote a world without criminality, a world without war, a world without insanity. I know of no other group where their goals are that clear. And that's why I'm a seismologist. <laughs> I mean, think about John Travolta's career. I mean, he owes literally everything he has ever had to Quentin Tarantino and the Bee Gees. I mean, seriously, <laughs> he would be nobody without, without them too, but that's uh, and Kirstie Alley and Bruce Willis. Okay, but well, Okay. That's fine. I mean, wow. he was great as a sperm cell. I will say that <laughs> great as a sperm cell. Um, but I mean, obviously he didn't research, any other religion, <laughs> I know. you know, like he didn't go to church one day it's because like, that's pretty much all. World I mean, what are the fruits of the spirit? Love, joy, yeah, peace, patience, yeah, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. There's a, there's a point in the, in the documentary. I think it's, it's Paul Haggis who says, uh, you know, you talk to anybody who's religious at all. And within 30 seconds or a minute, they can tell you almost everything you need to know about what they believe or what their religion's about. And the difference with Scientology is people have been in the church for 10 years and still don't know what it's about. 
or unless they've spent, like you said, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, they, they only tell you things with the more money that you spend, which is the most bass backwards way of going about a religion. As a religious person, like that's one of the things that uh, fascinates me and, and simultaneously disgusts me about this whole thing, because, you know, most of the people that are, I, I would, I would hazard to guess the 90 to 99% of the people who, you know, would identify themselves as Scientologists are not bad people. It's just that they've, in my opinion, they've been duped. And one of the ways that you can tell if you've been duped is if you're, if your church or your religious leader is telling you that the only way to, uh, to achieve salvation in one form or another, whether it's Zenu or, or Jesus or anything else is to, uh, is to donate a million dollars. Well, guess what? That's, that's bull crap. Like we, right. we should be able to identify this people like this. This is not, uh, unless that 200 K gets you those glasses. Paul Haggis had those, right. Are then it's totally worth it. Worth but it. In addition to salvation, you get these sweet glasses. Well, yeah. okay. That, that changes things. <laughs> there's a, there's a hilarious, like, uh, I guess, ranks that you make in, in Scientology, and it's obviously written by a science fiction writer. I mean, yes. if you look at the list, it's so ridiculous. The, the, uh, the rank that you receive is uh, OT3, and there's eight levels of OT there that you can reach. At OT3 is when they, they tell you about, about Xenu. And I played the clip earlier, uh, the South Park clip that Richard referred to about Scientology. It explains what Scientologists believe. But imagine spending a hundred grand, dumb, 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 dumb. and then yeah, and then finding out yeah all that. Like, how dumb would you feel? I I thought Paul Haggis was his his reaction to that was was fantastic. Like the whole idea that like okay maybe this is a joke. Maybe they're trying to. Maybe if they if I believe this, then they're going to kick me out because I'm crazy. It's that insane that this is what our entire belief system is is hinging upon. No, it's it's disturbing. And Travolta is also quoted as saying, "Name me one other philosophy, religion, or technology where joy is the ultimate goal." Mm. Well, I just named you uh, every religion but Scientology. Their joy and, and Tinder. Joy is, yeah. I mean, why? That's your first mistake, John. Why are you looking at technologies for joy? You know, name me one technology where joy is the ultimate. Like, what? I've been, I've looked at every technology, and trust me, CD players. The joy is not the ultimate goal. I mean, there. What about the joystick? It's right there in the title. Well, the John. Scientology technical name is what the Scientological Technology Center. Or something like technology is a big part of Scientology, which is which is even more confusing. But one of the ways they recruit people to Scientology is they put them in a room with another person and they have them close their eyes and they go to what's called OTTR zero, which is described as an out of body experience. And this is basically just transcendental med- meditation. This is not any kind of Scientological breakthrough that you can only experience when you're a Scientologist. I mean, sit in any room with your eyes closed for 30 minutes and concentrate on, you know, in complete silence and concentrate on your surroundings and you'll feel out of body. I mean, it's, it's about complete awareness of your surroundings and, you know, it's practiced by a lot of people. It's, you know, yoga takes it into account as well. And, you know, it's something that it's non-religious at all, really. It's more of a physiological phenomenon or mental phenomenon that it is 
religious. And so that's their first method of recruiting people is like, didn't that feel great? Now, now join us. Uh, and they make them think that that the only, re- only way they can ever have that feeling again is being a Scientologist. And another aspect of this, which, is, which ties into the master, is the Sea Org, which is um, basically a army, if you, if you want to put it um, bluntly, uh, of people who have signed up to further the, the name or the expanse of Scientology. They sign a billion-year contract, which is just ridiculous. And they wear uniforms. One of the more disturbing. Is that facts the same one this. Carmelo just signed with the Knicks? <laughs> yeah, the billionaire contract. Yeah. yeah, that was a billionaire one. Yeah, right? I think okay. so. Richard made allusions to its cultness earlier in the episode, and that was what was most striking to me: is seeing David Miscavige in front of these people in literally a a military uniform with you know badges and ranks of honor on it and it just came off so hitlerish to me yeah, with the big gold like over the top thing right too. and he's so much shorter than tom cruise which i think you pointed out kent yeah it's honestly disturbing and it's it's crazy that isaac hayes left south park because of that episode the, you know they show him in this in this documentary devout scientologist uh isaac hayes and left the show uh, because of their views on Scientology, which is crazy. But I think the, the main conversation to be had here, fellas, is about Tom Cruise. <laughs> and um, and I want to talk about Tom Cruise as a, as a person and mainly as a Scientologist. Uh, just extremely disturbing. There are parts, there are clips that they show of Cruise where he's talking about Scientology, and he, I think he's talking about SPs, which are suppressive people, people that um, get in your way of, of being a, a devout Scientologist. And Emily Blunt. He, he's talking about somebody, somebody came up to me and asked me, have you ever met an SP? And then he just starts going into this laughing fit about it, and he comes off, honestly, possessed yeah. by something. And... I feel bad for the guy after watching this, don't you? Yeah, yeah. He he's the look. I, I want to say this. I I don't want it to come across like we. And I'll I'll speak for you, you guys, on this. And you feel free to pipe in if I'm you know out of turn. But I we're not gonna ba- we're not bashing on anyone's belief system. Like there are really weird things in every oh sure 100%. in every world religion, whatever it may be. There are weird things that that those people believe. So that like I I want to make sure like we we point that out. Like we're not we're not bashing on the beliefs. It's it's the it's the veil of secrecy and the the blatant money grubbing and the um horrible horrible things that clearly are happening behind the scenes that even this documentary didn't go into on full, like at, yeah, at like full the fact that David Miscavish's wife has been missing for like yeah, seven years. Yeah. It, it seemed to me like HBO was being very, which I cannot blame them by any means, but they were being very cautious about everything that they stated in this film uh, was stated by somebody who had come out of Scientology or was stated by, uh, by Lawrence, Wright. Like they, mm-hmm. they didn't go into anything that isn't, basically fact like no no guessing no uh no digging into which is how journalism should be <laughs> yeah oh absolutely i'm, I'm not i'm not bashing it at all like, no, it's I totally I'm just kidding. it's smart it's and funny it's funny we're 
We're yeah. so used to people throwing their exactly. Opinion out of, like exactly. you have to point out that HBO actually yeah. did it correctly. Totally, totally. But like to your point, can't like, Tom Cruise is the Tom yes. Cruise is the perfect person for this for this religion. Like he's the I'm going to call him a victim. He's the perfect victim for this religion. He is uh, he's incredibly handsome. And, uh, and, and very talented. We all love Tom Cruise. We're all big Tom Cruise fans as, as an actor, uh, and, and some of the, a lot of the work that he's done. Um, but we've said before in a joking manner, but we're serious. Like no one wants to be loved more than Tom Cruise. And, and yeah. I think there's a, I think you could see that. Uh, I think that that is part of what makes him such a, an obvious mark for this religion uh, and Travolta is the same way. It's it's they're they're taking people who are very gullible, promising them riches, and then delivering on that. The reason John Travolta is still a Scientologist to this point, after all the stuff that is revealed through this this film and all the other stuff that we don't know about, is because he's been very successful, and because when things are working for you, uh, you don't question them. And and that's I think that's a huge part of why John Travolta is still a, a Scientologist. And and with with Cruz, it's it's a lot of the same stuff. In addition to, he's got an entire powerful organization pumping up his ego and his self esteem and all this stuff. He's an incredibly gullible person who needs love so badly, and this is how he fills that that hole. I mean that that's total like psycho garbage. So maybe I'm completely just full of crap on that but but i i feel pretty confident in that assessment having watched some of the stuff that that's going on and having and, and our not you know knowledge of what we know about tom cruise over the years it, you know added to that yeah it's it's crazy the fact that uh they've done all these things for tom cruise that how much they rely on tom cruise sure is is crazy they think sure. that their their religion and their church lives and dies by if Tom Cruise is involved or how heavily he's involved in the church. The fact that he tried to uh, miscavige, tried to get people to break him and Nicole Kidman up. Right. Um, the fact that they were using these e-meter sessions, um, basically these e-meter sessions, if you haven't seen the documentary are like confessionals. Um, there are many religions who have confessional, but they, that we know of these religions don't videotape you and use it against you, uh, to your relatives, um, like this church of Scientology does. So it's a little disturbing the fact that they would use Cruz's thoughts about Nicole. I think Cruz mentioned that he wanted to spy on Nicole and find out who she was having an affair with or talking to. And so the church took it upon itself to tap all of Nicole Kidman's phone lines and um and get rid of that relationship between Nicole and Tom and right they really just they they'll invade your family there's a uh, a woman in the that's interviewed in the documentary that literally her family was torn apart because the church told them that yeah. they can't be a family anymore so sad it's tragic it's just, that was just amazing unbelievable, just unbelievable. she's as high, the highest ranked in terms yeah. of ot scale not in terms yeah. of power but you know highest ranked person in the church yeah i think they said your daughter is an sp suppressive person you her can't son. ever yeah the son her, yeah your son yeah. is an sp a suppressive person you can't ever see mm-hmm. him again yeah. Sorry. And uh, she 
accepted it apparently, and she's out of the church now. I think she left a couple years ago, but at the time, yeah, I, yeah. I thought her. Besides, I thought Haggis was the star of the show, but uh, that one I, I can't remember her name, and the the other woman, uh, Spanky, who was friends with uh, yeah. Travolta. I yeah. thought they had the most compelling. Uh, just I, I was I was riveted every time they were on the screen because they the the stories that they had to tell were so heartbreaking and so it, it made you really want to just be like, why did you not realize this stuff so much earlier? But it, it's, you know, that's easy to say in hindsight, but I, I thought their stories were extremely compelling and, uh, and really did a lot of damage to the Scientology cause. Uh, just even if half of what they said is true and we have no reason to believe that it's not completely true. Um, man, that's a lot to, uh, that's a lot to take on a bit of irony to point out here, uh, a bit. The fact that Tom Cruise, 90% of his movies are him fighting aliens. Yeah. And he worships aliens in real life. Like, <laughs> that's a little crazy. The fact that he has been willing to be in movies like edge of tomorrow and, right. uh, war of the worlds and stuff like that. A uh, little, you would think that would contradict some of his beliefs, but, uh, he wants, he wants to be loved. Like you said, Brian, he wants to be loved. Yep. Uh, there is uh, another bit where they say Tom Cruise wanted him and Nicole to run through a meadow. So the entire <laughs> church had to physically build a meadow in a, on his property. Miss Cavish shows up, doesn't like the meadow, makes him tear it up and start again. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard uses the Sea Org as basically his servants. Uh, they get paid each between 6 and 40 cents per hour. Gosh. Uh, while they're on Sea Org, the maximum I think somebody in the documentary says that they made was fifty dollars in one week uh, while they were in the Sea Org. But uh, it's worth it. I mean, it's only a billion That's years. That's fair. Yeah, it's only a billion yeah. years. And, and yeah, and the church is only worth uh, one point five billion dollars. So you know, per church, they said yeah, that. And talk about a resume builder. You know, that. <laughs> they said there's. Yeah, that's what was crazy, Brian. They said uh, of the top three churches. There are seven or eight branches or, you know, big, I guess, I don't know, mega churches of Scientology. The top three are worth $1.5 billion. So, I mean, you're thinking, you know, $20, 25000000000 billion that this Plus could potentially be. the real estate be. they bring in. I mean, the real estate, if you, if you go to Austin, they've got a really incredible building there. Pretty much in any major city, the best real estate in terms of corporate or church possible real estate is always Scientology. They've been brilliant there. It was Gosh. it was insane when, um, the rocks driving an ambulance and intercepts a drone. Oh, I'm looking at my notes from Fast Seven. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> uh, they uh, let's see here. What else we got? I, I took a lot of notes on this. It's just stuff that I wanted to look more into once uh, once this was over. Most of them are on Haggis's glasses, though, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, the fact that they play musical chairs. That oh, yeah. under Miscavige's, this was crazy. Under Miscavige's uh, direction, they play musical chairs to Bohemian Rhapsody, and the person who wins musical chairs gets to stay in Scientology. Yeah, he said people were literally fighting to the death. One of the most eye-opening parts of this is the fact that the people that are speaking out against it are so set in their ways that this was all wrong, and you know there were they just can't believe they were ever in it for that long. You know, um. There's no turning back at this point for them as far as being anti-Scientology. Like, they'll do all they can. They'll go on the record. They'll go on this documentary, 
and let their names be known and their faces and everything. It, yeah, I was the former PR director for Scientology for 30 years. Uh, don't do it, you know? Yeah. The fact that they're just being so open and upfront about this is, um, I guess, pretty telling as well. The, the but, way their lives are just ruined now by the, the yeah. you know, the, the Scientologists really just kind of picking on them and, and harassing them constantly is is <laughs> unbelievable. And, and there's got to be something done about that, I think. It's so yeah. abusive on so many levels. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a very, I guess... Um, disturbing scene where some a member of the church was being spied on from across the street, apparently for about five years. People were driving by their house. Um, they're called Squirrel Busters, I think. Yeah. And they were driving by their house and, and you know, attempting to get blackmail against them, videotaping them, and literally just spying on them. I mean, there's no other way to put it than... than them spying on them and I just don't I just I, I mean I'm just so confused by all the tactics used here it's it's I guess the ultimate goal is money is that is that it is that the yeah. ultimate goal here uh, it's not it's not to help people it's to no, make money absolutely not yeah and that that's why it should not be a church like that's yeah. one of the main and they, they mentioned that in the film one of the main functions of a church and why you get tax exempt status and things like that is that the understanding that you are trying to help society that you are furthering the the good and the the hope of society and that's clearly not occurring here so even more disturbing is the fact that the irs has given them tax exemption yeah and they, and they must down to they, it. they yeah. must not have done any research well no they were being brilliant strategy by miscavige yeah. there i mean to to just overwhelm them with uh with lawsuits and then Personal basically say, lawsuits. yeah mm-hmm. just make these go- just make this lawsuit go away and all of these go away that was a brilliant it's a lot like the jinx like his uh yeah his law def- his defense for the 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 galveston murder of yeah. i mean just a brilliant brilliant strategy and uh they're they're smart miss gavage is a really smart guy he's a i think he's evil but he's he's really smart exactly it's it comes off so cultish in this. Yep. I mean, there's no other really word to describe this, but but cultish at this point. And like I said, if if you're in the Church of Scientology and you're listening to this episode, which is definitely a possibility, uh, believe what you want to believe. Whatever whatever makes you happy. Honestly, I want you to be happy. I, if if the Church of Scientology makes you happy, by all means. If if you're Jewish, be Jewish. If you're Catholic, be Catholic. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life, but I'm here to judge this film and this film did a fantastic job of stating the facts as far as I'm, I can see yeah. here. Uh, so as far as a documentary film, this is, this is high up there. This is documentary filmmaking at its best. And, uh, this is the second most viewed documentary in HBO history already at this point. The, uh, first being the Beyonce documentary, which I haven't seen, which is, <laughs> which is big for obvious reasons. Beyonce is the biggest, maybe female artist in the world, but you know, not a lot of people even know what Scientology is. And maybe hopefully this, this opens some eyes, uh, towards, I guess, people educating themselves on more world religions. It's like, like you said, Brian, um, you were interested in that in college. I went to a a Baptist university for a year and studied religion there Mm -hmm. and I've always been interested in, 
and what other religions believe. Um, whether I believe that or not, that's my own personal thing, but it's a very interesting thing to, to research, you know, what makes the world go round, you know, there, there are how many Hindus in, in India, you know, a billion literally. And, uh, so that's a, that's an interesting thing to, to study. And, uh, you know, Islam, you know, drives a lot of what happens in this country from a, um, uh, you know, I guess a, a mindset that we have towards uh, Muslims and, and Islam, you know, research Islam though. It's, yeah. it's much less terroristic than the yeah. United States would have you believe, you know, Absolutely. Well, the, the truth is you can, you can bastardize any world exactly. religion. And, exactly. and, and that, you know, I, I say that speaking for a, a religion that um, quite frankly, much of it, much of it makes me much of it embarrasses me so um any you can take a a, a small sample size of any world religion uh, and say well these people are the worst and the the right. difference is i think that uh i think with scientology you just have to you, you almost have to feel sorry for the 99% and and kind of loathe the 1% great point i'm going to grade this unless y'all have any other thoughts on on going clear it was it was worth a second watch in my opinion i watched it twice and uh the second time i i listened a lot more to mr miscavige and mm, man some of the stuff just doesn't even make sense in the english language so i don't know how people could read into more of what he said, he just comes. Yeah, off I was creepy. blown away at what a horrible public speaker. He exactly. Was. Yes, the, absolutely. The, the first time they show him, I get it. It's like his first time in the spotlight. So I was like, okay, he'll get better and more charismatic. Because sometimes you see these uh, religious leaders or, or cult, even small cult leaders, and they're you know they're very charming. You see how they got to be right. who they are, and he was just like so stilted, constantly and awkward, and his phrasing was terrible. Gosh. I don't get, but he. That's one thing I wish they had gone over more. I don't know if the information is really there because I don't remember it too much from the book. Right. Was they were kind of just like because of a power play, Miss Gavish took control, and I was sure. like, "What was yeah. that power play?" I would love yeah, to I'd hear like about to, that. I'd love to know more. that. Yeah, totally. It's so funny. Like I, I'm often very critical of of Christians because. <laughs> Because like all of our pop culture stuff is so dated all the time. Like any – it always seems like contemporary Christian music is about five years behind whatever was popular in pop music, uh, you know, and, and it always drives me insane. How Super amazing was that music too. video for the Scientology music oh, video? Yeah. Like yeah. I was dying. I was like this is the worst. And that was one of his big – uh, early, like, let's push this thing over the top. We, sort we of stand tall. Play. Yeah, I played yes. it at the beginning oh of this episode. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, amazing, amazing. <laughs> There's another one that you should look into, and I'm gonna I'm gonna find the name of it right now, so all of our listeners can go on YouTube immediately and and look this up. They made like a boy band in oh. the late '80s. <laughs> um, the song is called "Don't Pass Me By." The the uh, the group is called Kids on Stage for a Better World. Nope. <laughs> I have to end the episode with the song, so I'll play a, I'll play a bit of the song at the end of the episode if you want to. But stay I already pre played our prepaid our Fraser royalties. <laughs> I'll close the song with Fraser. How about that? <laughs> so I'm going to give my grade, fellas. I'm going to give this an A plus. 
it was everything I wanted it to be. And I just, I can't wait for Mr. Gibney to bring us more great documentaries. I love one out this week. I'll talk about in a minute. It's Alex Gibney. Nice. Yeah. The Sinatra documentary is Alex Gibney. Oh, I didn't know that was him. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, but he has a Steve Jobs uh, movie called Man in the Machine coming out this fall, I believe, which is supposed to be great. And he also has a Janis Joplin documentary mm. coming out at some point called Janis Little Girl Blue. So I'm excited for that one to come out as well. So Alex Gibney, great stuff. See his other films, the previous ones. The Armstrong Lie is, mm-hmm. is a very eye-opening one about Lance Armstrong, the, the cyclist, Tour de France winner. Uh, Catching Hell is great. The Steve Bartman documentary. Um, yes. He did one. We'll, we Steal Secrets, the story of WikiLeaks, which is a good WikiLeaks documentary. And uh, one other I will recommend is called uh, Freakonomics. He did a segment on that, too. Yeah. And that's a that's a great little little uh, documentary as well. He did an Enron one. He's probably most maybe most yeah. well known for smartest guys in the room. Yeah, the Enron great documentary. Movies. So uh, yeah, Mr. Gibney's great. This is an A plus for me, and I um, this won't be the last time I talk about this in my life. <laughs> I want everyone to see this, and it's a great conversation to have. Uh, so Brian, what will you uh, give this? It's an A plus for me. It it really is one of the uh, it's one of the best documentaries I I can remember. So uh, fantastic film, Richard. Yeah, I'll go A plus as well. I I wouldn't be surprised if this popped up in our top ten list later in the year. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. So let's move on, guys. Let's hit recommends. Weekly recommends. Richard, uh, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, to keep on the Alex Gibney theme. Uh, I watched all four hours of the his new Sinatra documentary that is out uh, earlier this week or last week. Back-to-back hits for Gibney. It's an awesome documentary. I love Sinatra. Uh, really in-depth, I think definitive documentary that will last a long time in terms of in, in kind of keeping that legacy. Uh, much like the, you know, the Don't Look Back or the Scorsese, Bob Dylan uh documentary it's it's really really definitive and, and perfect it could be showed in high schools or just watching at home it's, it's great and it's really different than the you know the Scientology documentary because it's much more canonized and historical and and not really trying to make a point in any way it's not journalistic as much as it is biographical if that makes sense but it's it's equally as well crafted and edited and perfect and uh, I loved it a lot so you kept my attention for four hours back to back nights two hours a night so I highly recommend uh, I think it's just I believe it's just called Sinatra by uh, Alex Gibney it's on HBO Go check it out if you're in, all, all interested in Sinatra or just kind of curious as to the, the music and film industry in the you know 30s 40s 50s and 60s it's it definitely gives a glimpse into that everything from teeny bop records of the 40s to to presidential elections of the 60s that kind of covers uh, everything in between. I think both of you would really like it. I think a lot of our listeners would as well. Yeah, I said I wasn't going to watch it because it'll make me want to buy every Frank Sinatra album ever. Mm-hmm. And that's a sickness that I have. When I get into <laughs> a music genre or an artist, I have to own everything they have. So. They used to have this great Sinatra, the the Capitol recordings from yes, uh, yeah box set that yeah. we used to sell when I worked at a bookstore in, in college. But I don't think it's still out there, but th- those some of those albums are so they're like Morrissey records. I mean, they're so depressing and sad. Yeah. 
he's such a lonely singer in a lot of ways. When you when you listen to the hits, maybe not so much, but most of the deep cuts are pretty depressing and wonderful and and solemn and beautiful. And I know Dylan just did a Sinatra kind of covers record came out a couple months ago where he focused on a lot of those songs, which is actually pretty good. So yeah, highly recommend that stuff I, he's much more of an artist than we give him credit for we think of him more as an icon i think elvis suffers from the same thing we we tend to we tend to give the artist credit for some reason to dylan and the beatles but we don't tend to give it as much to elvis and sinatra and i think that's a shame because both of them though icons and celebrities and just all around kind of crazy people in a lot of ways we're we're really at their core just as much uh artists as any you know, pop artists of the last hundred years. So yeah. I think this documentary really exposes that side of Sinatra. When you really think of him more as like this kind of businessman, Vegas lounge singer, it shows how sensitive and, and, you know, beautiful his art could be. It's called Sinatra all or nothing at all. That's what it is. You're right. It is. And, and it has this really cool kind of handy cam footage of his final concert. He ended up coming back. I mean, he retired in 71 and came back in 73. I think it was a, a Jay-Z type retirement. But it uh, it's a really neat kind of solemn concert. Great it, footage. I've heard for a long time that Scorsese is going to make a Sinatra biopic with, I've heard that too. with yeah. uh, DiCaprio as Sinatra. So I would, uh, I would enjoy seeing that if it ever comes to fruition. Yeah. Uh, but you mentioned Capitol Recordings, Richard, mm-hmm. and I'm going to recommend a documentary as well this week for my week recommend. Um, it's called Lost Songs, The Basement Tapes Continued, and this is oh. the documentary about the recording of the new Basement Tapes album that happened uh, this past year in 2014. Brian, I believe a couple weeks ago, recommended the album Lost in the River by the new Basement Tapes it's an album that's based off a, a stack of lyrics that were found uh, that were written by Bob Dylan. Literally, they bring in a box, like a lunch box, and they open it up and they pull out, you know, 20 sheets of paper and they all pass them around in a room and um, they write songs based on the lyrics uh, first. So they, they get handed lyrics and they have to write an album based on those. And the, the um, musicians that are in it is Elvis Costello. Taylor Goldsmith, yeah, <laughs> Taylor Goldsmith from from Dawes, Rhiannon, who's Gitt- great, yeah, he's great. By the way, after seeing it, I'm a, I think his songs might be the, actually the best on the on the album. They're very good. Uh, Rhiannon Giddens, who's a bluegrass singer, Jim James from My Morning Jacket, and Marcus Mumford of Mumford and Sons fame, and so they form a band and they write songs based on these Dylan lyrics. Uh, with the producer being the one and only T-Bone Burnett, who has brought us uh, great, Gosh. in Hollywood, great things like Inside Lewin Davis and Crazy Heart, uh, just to name a few. So they record the album at Capitol Studios at the uh, famous Capitol Records building in Los Angeles. And it's an hour and 45 minutes of them recording the album. I mean, it's a great observational documentary. It's done by the same guy, uh, Sam Jones, who did the Wilco documentary, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart, mm-hmm. which uh, covers the uh, recording of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, which is a great record, too. If you aren't a Wilco fan, you should be. 
Brian, are you do you like that record? I know you're an all country guy. Have you gotten into that one at all? It's kind of the bizarre end, the experimental we'll end of our country. Yeah, the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot through. You know, I, I I'm sure I own it. Um, all the I, I kind of came to Wilco a little bit late in the game, so like I don't differentiate their albums. I guess like I just I just have a bunch of Wilco on my iPod, and I yeah. like it all. I just don't. Um, gotcha. that, that's one of those bands, my morning jacket, the same way I'm a huge, my morning jacket fan, but I could probably not tell you two songs, like what album they come off of. I just love to listen to, and I can't really even tell some of the songs apart. I just enjoy the music. And I think Wilco is kind of the same way for me for whatever reason. One of the great things about this documentary, it's called lost songs. The basement tapes continued is the, just the vast writing styles of all these uh, musicians. Uh, Mar- Marcus Mumford says, you know, basically he writes, you know, a song every six months. He writes a song whenever he feels like writing a song. He doesn't just sit down and, and crank out an album like a lot of artists do. But Jim James is the opposite. Like he'll sit down there and he'll write a whole album in a day. So it was awesome to see everybody's different styles come together. And the fact that, you know, some people felt pressured to write certain songs because other people, basically, they all took the lyrics home and they came back the next day and like, okay, what you got, you know, type of thing. And it was just a very fascinating watch. And Brian and Richard, you guys have to see this. You, you'll, so, uh, you'll absolutely love it. HBO it was on Showtime. It's on oh, Showtime. Okay. Um, but I, I can get it to you if you want to watch it. Okay. Um, but it um, was it was so so great to watch, and it's right up there with Sound City uh, as far as like. Uh, you know, a great, you know, probably will be one of your favorite music documentaries that you've, you've ever seen. And you got to see the Wilco one, Brian, too. I'm trying I to break your I've heart. I think I've watched it. I, I know it's been on my Netflix queue at one yeah, point watch, or another. I think yeah, I it was on it. Netflix for a while. And watch it, watch the documentary and then listen to the album. It's yeah. It'll change your whole view on that band and that music. But me, as a person who loved the uh, Lost on the River album by the New Basement Tapes before I saw this, it's uh, it's crazy because you know they they show them recording it and some songs they do in one take and they just show the entire take in the documentary and it's just magic some of it so it's awesome uh, y'all will really like it and the listener will, will really enjoy it too. Hey, side recommend for both of you. I don't know. It didn't get as much pub as this, but Bob Dylan did a uh, he he found some lyrics of Hank Williams, um, oh. probably about five years ago, 2011, so four years ago. And it's all these kind of lost Hank Williams lyrics that they found inside a suitcase. And Bob Dylan recorded 12 different tracks and there's all different people singing. He just did. Bob Dylan just produced it. But I mean, it's names like, well, it's the first song. It's really diverse, but it's uh, I'll just go through the list. And I think you guys will get excited. Uh, Each one of these people does one song in the album. Alan Jackson. okay, Uh, Bob Dylan himself, uh, Jillian Welch and Nora Jones, Jack White, Lucinda Williams, Rodney Crowell and Vince Gill. Patty Loveless, Levon Helm, Holly Williams, uh, who's Hank's, one of Hank's daughters or granddaughters, uh, Jacob Dylan, Cheryl Crow, and Merrill Haggard. Uh, I'll do one. It's really cool. I have it somewhere laying around. If I if I I can I can somehow float it to you, I will. But uh, highly recommend it. The uh, there's a lot of great songs in there. Really similar type project. It's funny. Dylan does it with a artist before his generation and. And it kind of comes full circle even within five years. But uh, I recommend both those albums. They're really kind of interesting ways to make music you yeah. know, in this very collaborative, yeah. f- fascinating way, I think. So 
uh, check cool. both of those out. There, it's it, been a long time since we've had a super band, so it's kind of cool to uh, to have. That I love super groups. Out. My my second favorite super group is probably Monsters of Folk, which yeah, is also yeah, a Jim James project. We're traveling Mine's Wilburys. Velvet Revolver, but the rest is, <laughs> is fine as well. Mine's Alter Bridge, but that's cool. Whatever. <laughs> Richard, that was the one I was trying to come up with, and I could not think of the name. That's fantastic. Velvet Revolver was Slash and Scott Weiland, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah Alter Bridge was. was... Like all of Guns N' Roses plus Scott Weiland, pretty much. Yeah. And Alter right, Bridge yeah. was like a couple guys from Creed and a couple guys from something else, right? Yeah, I think Filter, maybe. I don't remember. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Thank God. Uh, what was great about this Lost Songs documentary was they try to r- replicate the Dylan h- recording the new the basement tapes. Yeah, uh, you know it was after Woodstock and everything, and Dylan basically you know made like shacked up in Woodstock, New York. Yeah, and they he set was up- there during the concert too, but he is he was at his motorcycle accident. Right. He he basically made made a studio in the basement of this house he had rented out. Yeah. Or bought temporarily with his band just to rehearse, and Who they was the band, by the, the band, way, not just his yeah, band. <laughs> the band, uh, the band, the band, and the the great thing about it was they weren't trying to make a songs anybody would hear. They weren't making an album; they were just jamming, and so that's what they really tried to do with. Even though they were making an album, it's kind of like new basement podcast. tapes. They they try to replicate the I guess mood of those recording sessions. So they do a great job in the documentary of going back and forth. They they have some Dylan audio that they play and they go back and forth mm-hmm. with the old basement tapes and the new basement tapes. So that's that's a really interesting aspect of this too. By the way, they're reissuing the basement tapes uh, recordings, the Dylan recordings for Record Store Day this coming Saturday. So if you're a Dylan fan, you might want to hop on eBay and snag that. It'd be a cool. I would say if you're not a Dylan fan and you'd like to find the most accessible stuff, a lot of people will point you. Th- to 60s Dylan because that's the transformative sort of historical canon right. version. But I recommend 70s Dylan as probably the stuff that's aged the best. Not, I mean, I love 60s Dylan. It changed my life. But like Blood on the Tracks, Basement Tape, stuff like that, it sounds more like rock that you're probably used to. It's it's really, really cool and holds up really well. So it's not it doesn't have that tinny, nasally sound as much. There's a lot more warmth to the vocals. It's after the motorcycle crash and he kind of became, uh, you know, the Rolling Thunder review on tour and all of that. So uh, I highly recommend really any of those early 70s Dylan records and basement tapes, maybe tops of the tops of the tops. Brian, what documentary are you going to recommend? <laughs> I, I'm going to give you guys two things today. I wasn't planning on it when we started, but the conversation about going queer uh, reminded me of, a, of another thing that I wanted to Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard? Yes, it's a fantastic little study. And if you guys want to come <laughs> by, I've got this little machine I'd like to show you that uh, will help you with your stress. Um, Only if you no, hook it up to my groin. <laughs> I'm going to give you, give you two things. One is a documentary. It's on HBO. Last night after I finished watching Going Clear – or the night before, whenever I watch it, uh, I had the HBO, I had the uh, Chromecast hooked up with HBO Go, so I was just like kind of surfing, trying to figure out what I wanted to watch, and I flipped over to the Vice page, which Vice is always really interesting stuff. Love, love pretty much everything that they do, but I had not watched the Killing Cancer segment uh, that they did yes. uh, about six weeks ago. I don't know if you all had, have seen that. Um, it is fascinating, guys, and it's it's just such a it's a really cool look at some cutting edge technology that literally could be it could be the end of cancer as we know it which is such a cool idea and something that i thought we were not i don't know maybe in our lifetimes if we were lucky we might see it but certainly not uh at our at our young age but basically 
uh, long story short, there are, there are a few doctors that are using other diseases that are horrible. Uh, measles. I think one guy was using like a smallpox, uh, uh, germ basically. I don't know. Germ is probably not the right word. Uh, and, and kind of transitioned it into something that he could use. And another, there's a doctor in Philadelphia who is using the HIV, uh, virus to and 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 hybrided it to locate and kill leukemia cells, and they are treating people in four weeks, and they are cancer free. Like it's an amazing, amazing leap forward in technology and and science. And uh, I anyway, it's a it's a fact. I just started. I was bawling just watching this because it's all these kids that have cancer and stuff, and I just can't handle that. And uh, but it's it's an amazing, amazing thing, and it's like thirty five minutes long. And uh, totally worth your time. And Vice, I know you can get it on HBO Go. You can probably watch it on their website as well. I, I know a lot of their stuff is, is usually up on the website. Brian, how does it how does it tie in with music? Because that's kind of what we're talking about here. I don't know. <laughs> kind yeah. of Debbie Downer uh, this quite a bit. Is yeah. the soundtrack yeah. good? Like, what kind of are we looking at? No. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's a lot of corn, but um, but otherwise it's pretty. Good. No, um, <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, it's all freak on unleashed, but a remix. So um, no, it's anyway. It's it's fantastic, and I I highly recommend watching that. Um, but I'm also gonna I'm gonna give you a book that came out like oh 2003, I think. But this conversation kind of reminded me of it, and and how uh, it's it's just a fascinating look at uh mormonism and and really at uh at not, some at mormonism as a whole but but mormon fundamentalists especially it's called under the banner of heaven it's by john krakauer who wrote into the wild uh and into thin air into the wilds i think probably my favorite book uh, of all time and uh I, I will go back and read it every couple of years it's just just a fascinating read this is he he wrote about the Mormon Church and Mormon fun, fundamentalists who practice polygamy, and uh, and tied it in with this really disturbing but also kind of fascinating uh, murder that happened in the in the mid '80s, uh, and, and and looked at how this fundamentalism led to this murder and the, and the way that, that everything happened. It's a, it's a really sobering read. It's not, it's not fun. It's not like a fun sit down and have a beach read sort of thing, but, um, I highly recommend it. And, and, and I think if you enjoyed this documentary, uh, if you enjoyed that kind of thinking, I think you get a lot out of this, this book as well. So under the banner of heaven by John Krakauer and the, uh, the vice killing cancer report on HBO. John Krakauer has a new book out about uh, a city that I spend a lot of time in every year, Missoula, Montana. So I just saw that. that. Too. <laughs> I just just added that to my uh, my to read list. I love John Krakauer. I think I've read everything that he's he's ever written. And uh, Under the Banner of Heaven is really good. Have you read that one, Richard? Is that I have. I have. Okay. I love Krakauer. He's uh, he's he's wonderful. Okay, I'll, guys. I'm, I'm pumped for Missoula. Sweet. Okay, Brian. Where can I find your work online? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill 12 Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden or at RichardBarden.com. Kit, where can you find you? Where can I find you? I can I find you. I think you found at, you. Yeah. yeah. You found uh, you. I can find me at Twitter at Kent Garrison <laughs> and on our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. As Richard alluded to earlier in the episode, only our most recent 100 episodes show up on iTunes. So if you want to get caught up on Avengers greatness – we did an Avengers episode uh, uh, last year, I believe, 
And that's only available on our website. So uh, scroll back. There's a search function there, too. If you want to search for your favorite movie, maybe we did an episode on it. Uh, have at it. And uh, thanks for joining us this week. Next week, I'm not sure what comes out, but maybe uh, Throwback is in order. Uh, Paul maybe. Blart, Mall Cop 1. That'll oh, be yeah. <laughs> throwback to Paul Blart we're doing We're doing Blart Fest uh, 2015, <laughs> right, at Alamo Drafthouse? Yes, we are. Segways Live. required. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna segue around and interview people on the wireless. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, I'm gonna fall through. Uh, but until then, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. Like the.